Hey fam, welcome to the Still Coloring Podcast with Tony Collier. I am your host, Tony Collier, and each series we lean into the stories of women and men that uncover their brokenness and practically show us all how they've rebuilt their lives with hope and grit. Come on, come on, let's lean in. Hey friends, it's Tony Collier and I am so proud, so incredibly proud to announce that this season of the Still Coloring Podcast is sponsored by Bart Technologies. One of the biggest mistakes that I've ever made as a parent is not taking technology and its dangers seriously. I mean, y'all already know our kids are being exposed to some incredibly horrific things. However, if you follow me on Instagram, you probably heard a little bit about my journey and my partnership with them. I did some research on Bark Technologies through the help of my amazing Instagram community, and it has been incredible. They have been helping me navigate this world for technology for my daughter, Dylan, and one day, my little baby boy, Sammy. And as you probably know, technology can be a major contributor to mental health issues in our little kids today. So, Thank you, Bark, for sponsoring this season as we discuss little kids with big feelings. Keep listening. You'll hear a little bit more about Bark Technologies later. Hey, fam, I got to be honest with you about this episode. I had to apologize at the end. I said something that could have come off as offensive. It was an offensive statement, actually. And it just came out as this joke as I was joking about how much I loved my kids. And here's the truth. Like, Heather Avis, who's on this episode, I mean, she's so grace-filled, she's so kind, but she's also a truth teller. And she is in the space of disability advocacy. She has two kids with Down syndrome and she teaches me, corrects me, and leads me to holding space for children with disabilities, children with Down syndrome. And we even talk about what it's like as a sibling to have a brother or sister with a disability and how that affects and impacts family dynamic. This is a raw, vulnerable, sad, really great episode. (laughs) That's all I got to say. I hope you listen into it. And then I hope you share it with someone that you know and love as we, as a community, as a humanity, help to give humanity and give back honor to kids with disabilities or even Down syndrome. Check it out. Hey, y'all, it's Tony. We're on the Still Coloring Podcast. I'm really excited about this season. We have been talking about little kids, big feelings. And the truth is we've been talking about all the kids, okay? Elementary babies, middle school babies. And we may even dive into a little high school action. I don't know. I don't know. This episode I'm excited about for two reasons. Number one, we have had a similar conversation before, Heather and I. And so hopefully I'll remember some of the things that she taught me the first time we had a conversation live with a whole audience. Um, So that's why I'm really excited because I'm like, all right, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. But then also number two, I really just genuinely kind of like Heather. Like I like I just like the like no BS, like we're doing our thing, like we're shooting it straight. We're just being honest and it's amazing. And so I think sometimes like that's what we need as parents. We don't need a whole bunch of fluff. We need like, this is hard. Here's what you do. Keep it moving, fam. Mm. Okay, I also want to start with a story, Heather, before I bring y'all. In our first conversation, I was incredibly nervous because I think it was like maybe 2020, 2021. Like there was just a lot of awareness around language, labels, how to just hold labels. And um, the other day I was talking to someone about 
this podcast season. I was like, yeah, I'm doing this season. I'm so excited. Like season five, we're talking about little kids, big feelings. We're even diving into kids that have some behavioral challenges or whatever. And the person I was talking to goes, oh, yeah, man, I can't even imagine. It's probably so hard to be a parent of a disabled kid. And then I remembered your voice, Heather. And I asked you this question, like, how do we talk about children with disabilities? And you were like, well, first of all, we have to acknowledge that they're children, not disabled children, that we don't have to put these labels in front of anything because that only further damages and belittles like these humans <laughs> uh, and, and like these human beings that we get to honor and hold. And then I was like, I can't wait to talk to Heather about this because I still do feel like we're getting this wrong. And so before we get dive into all the things about feelings and emotions, I want you to address this and I want you to help our listeners get this right. How do we talk about children with disabilities? Oh, my gosh. Hi. OK, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say this, okay? Well, I'm so happy to have this conversation. And I am just... I'm sweating. I'm, I'm sweating, sweating. Like, really okay. hot. Um, <laughs> I... Okay, language. Let's just do this. And like you said, we're shooting it straight. Here's the thing about being a human in the world. Hopefully, we are always learning and growing, right? We are always learning and growing. And when we are speaking on behalf of, as an advocate or an ally, a people group that we don't identify with, there is unbelievable amounts of learning and growth that should come from that people group always, right? Come on. So I have learned in the last couple of years or since we've talked that my language, I've heard a lot more disabled people talk that I was wrong in people first language. Oh my gosh. And I'm hearing that oh from Oh my gosh, we're people. learning this in real time right now. <laughs> Isn't it wild? So I think back on all these podcasts I did, right? Like I'm like, People first language, people first language. And let me give a tiny history and and lots of caveats here, okay? Okay, tell me, tell me all the things. So, oh, we're learning. The biggest thing is, in the disability space, disabled advocates are saying the people first language in phrases like different abilities or special needs or differently abled were all phrases that non-disabled people came up with and used most likely to make themselves feel less uncomfortable about disability and disabled people are saying disability is not a bad word. It's not something we're ashamed of. It is our identity. And so we will identify as disabled and that you can put that first because there's no shame in that identity. So oh, that's my gosh. wild. And then it makes so much sense. We're like, wait a second. Yes. So here's a, another thing. I came from the Down syndrome space because I have two kids with Down syndrome. And that is that is the lane in which I run most of the time. Um and within disability, it is so broad and vast and the ex different experiences, different disabilities. It's just, it's so broad. So in the Down syndrome space, when it comes to a syndrome, it is still to say a person with Down syndrome, not a Down syndrome person. Um, so in the last three years, my language has shifted in that I talk about my kids as disabled and because there isn't shame in that. And it's not a wow. bad thing to have that be a part of your identity. So when we're saying, no, 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 we have to see the person first, then we're saying that there's something about their disability that is less person. Does that make sense? It's okay, not no, no, Heather, let me tell you why this makes so much sense to me. Because I don't love the phrase person of color. Yeah. I love to be called a black woman because there's no shame. It's not a woman of color. It's not a woman that is black. I'm like, no, I'm a black woman. And it, 
I just, all my words are like, what is it called? All my worlds are colliding yes. right now because I'm like, yeah, I'm not ashamed of that. Like, I don't have to be a woman. No, no, no. I can be a black woman. <gasps> right. So I think it, I think there is definitely some crossover there when it comes to people groups who our society has marginalized and deemed as less than because of how they identify. And those people groups are saying, no, 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 we're going to we're going to own this. We're going to take it back. This majority that is not a part of who we are has said what our identity will be for so long. We're, we're taking it back. So this is what I've been hearing from the disability community, wow. which is why it's so important to be listening to the voices of disabled people um, and to be question, asking questions to them instead of to an advocate even like me. You know, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to be able to come on with you and be like, hey, what I, what I said before was not yeah. what wasn't accurate. And you know this, the thing about language is it's always changing and it may change again in the next three or five years. And there's a people, there's like a column of people who get real frustrated. So what, now we're saying this? So what, now we do this? So what, where does it end? It's like, yeah, that's what we're doing. And it might change again in three years. And guess what? You just then say the different thing. Yeah. Instead of get tripped up on it. So there's my lesson Heather. today. Tony. And there's my lesson. <laughs> Welcome to Heather's Neighborhood. But no, that's so I just it's good stuff. It's good stuff for us as adults, but it, it's also good stuff for us as parents because we are also teaching our children language. Mm -hmm. And my poor daughter, who just doesn't even know like at all how to use these labels accurately, could say something really offensive to another sure. kid. Right. Like a disabled kid. Mm -hmm. Ah, I'm already on it right now. A child with disabilities or a child with Down syndrome, like because she doesn't have the language. And so mm -hmm. I think as parents, we do have to get this right so that we can teach our kids how to get this right so that there's honor amongst peers as well. Yeah. So this is good. Yeah. Oh, I and love I this think, so much. I think with that, because people get really afraid of getting it wrong. I do. Right. I mean, in the race conversation, I'm a white woman. There, there's so much there is so much fear, that's the right word, of stepping into a conversation that you just don't know about and you don't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or be viewed. We live in this cancel culture thing yeah. going on and all of that. Um, and I think it's so important to know that you're going to get it wrong. And it's more like the posture of your heart in, in approaching it. Like, hey, I'm coming at this. I'm going to say something. I think we need to say the things. We need to ask the questions. Yes. We need to have the conversations and then be quick to ask forgiveness instead of get defensive because our kids are going to, our kids can't, you can't know what you don't know. Right. And so you're going to say something. And then if a disabled person is like, I prefer this language. Like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I got it. I got it from here. Um, instead of like, well, what do you mean? That's not what you wanted it to be last year. You know what oh, I mean? Gosh, I know. Well, it's interesting because before we got on air, I kept telling um, my assistant and project manager, Amanda, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm okay. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. And then I sat down and I realized I was like, oh, I think I'm nervous to have this conversation because I got it wrong last time in the other conversation. And you helped guide me through getting it right. And I mean, it's just humility and it's hard, right? Like I still am just like, oh, I don't want to get this wrong. Like I don't want, it may be coming from a good place, but it also may be coming from a place of self-preservation mm -hmm. and pride. Mm -hmm. And so I've got to suss that out in me and say, no, no, no. The desire is that we want to get this right. We want to give honor across the board. We want to honor up, honor down, all around, honor all around. Mm -hmm. And so let me just, I'm going to ask, I mean, we're going to talk about it. And I'll, yeah, mm -hmm. but I was really nervous. And I just want to oh say gosh. that oh my I was so nervous. I was like, my bits are sweating. I'm going to ruin my lavender blazer. Ah. Um, <laughs> but, but you're so kind, Heather. And also I, I love that it's important to you. Like you can just kind of tell, like 
it's important. Like, it's like, hey, no, like, I want the world to get this right. I want people that are interfacing with me to get this right, my children to get this right. Like, I think that's good. So I'm grateful for you. And I'm excited to talk about another take on little kids with big feelings. Um, And again, I may cry because I'm just emotional. Mm. So I have a child with uh, special needs and uh, emotions are a huge part of the things that we process, right? Like we are just always talking about feelings and emotions and how to process them. And amongst the, you know, in the midst of being triggered or having a hard time regulating, and I do feel like we're we're getting ready to speak to a group of parents and caregivers who, you know, maybe it's not just a simple for the next couple of months, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to put a feelings wheel up and it's going to and they're just going to learn like with my daughter. Mm-hmm. We'll probably be having these conversations forever. Right. Like we're just we'll probably have to keep talking about feelings and how to handle them. And, you know, these the different things that we're having to talk about with her because for her she's been diagnosed with something and so it's just really difficult and but I just I'm not giving up on her because we have different barriers than other parents right and so I just wonder my first question would be how do we as parents with kids no with disabled kids I'm gonna get this right it's gonna happen for me and for you or with children with down syndrome how do we get this right and not comparing how we have to parent and the barriers that we have to process through to other parents. Cause, cause I'd be comparing sometimes if I'm be honest in my darkest days, you know? Oh my gosh. I'm comparing like in my best days and it's a problem. Um, <laughs> so good for you on only going there in the dark days. Okay. Okay. Comparison is so hard as a parent. Oh my gosh. Disability differences or not. I mean, it is just the game creeping up on us constantly that never ends. Well, nobody wins. Yeah. Um, I, first of all, I don't, I think as I've gotten older and even I, this conversation around language is such a good example of it. I just don't know anything anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm starting right there every day. So this is where we are. I'm doing the absolute best with what I do know, what the tools I do have, knowing that all, I just have infinite ways in which I can grow as a person and learn. Yeah. My thing, I think what I would say like as a starting point for this conversation and the lesson that I've learned the most with my oldest daughter, Mason, who's 15 and has Down syndrome. I love her so much. I, I literally can see her in Target trying on her dresses. Oh my gosh. She's a love. <laughs> um, is, and I'm comparing constantly and I'm in it right now. We are in adolescence. We are in a, like teenage years and it is kicking my booty. Yeah. Um, is we, before having kids, before being in the disability space and having kids with Down syndrome, I I thought that there was a best way to be human. Um, I don't know that I had that language or understanding around that or that lens, but but then I have a daughter with Down syndrome and all of the ideas I had around what makes a human have value and worth are challenged. Ooh. And so then it's all stripped down to how do I answer that question? Like what what gives a human value and worth? And for me, where I've landed is the heartbeat in their chest and the breath in their lungs. And they are a divine creation and image of the Lord, period, full stop. That's it. Mm. And there, and that's the thing that tethers me. Macy and I have a son with Down syndrome don't have to do or be one thing more than exactly who they are as they are to be fully, val- have full value and worth and to be treasured and beloved, period. There's that. So I Ooh. like, that's what tethers me. And that's kind of that foundation 
when it comes to then when I step out and look at literally every other person, including myself, um, with that lens, it's really freeing. And I say it tethers me because I'm constantly swirling away from it. Yeah. <laughs> in well, look at these other kids with Down syndrome who are starting middle or in middle school. Look at how they're able to assimilate. Look at how they're able to go to the dances, their language. Even within the, the disability that, space. Oh, m- more so, wow. I think. Wow. And it is, and then I get all like down a spiral and it's like, well, if only Macy could this, only Macy could this. And so that's, I think, as a parent, there is a blurry line. I don't know it's a fine line. It's just very blurry of when we want our kids to be their best selves and they don't fit in the mold in which we know how to help them be their best selves because they're so different, right? They're so different than other kids. But so we're, so that's constantly the question. I think that's the work of it for me as a mom. That's the journey is I want my kids with Down syndrome to be their best selves, which means they will have Down syndrome forever. And I don't want that to change. Yeah. Um, But what does that look like? Does that look like, my big thing these days, because Macy is a, is a real, I'm just going to say, it, she's a real challenge. <laughs> yeah, um, that's honest. Is like we're, we're seeking belonging, not assimilation. But Ooh. man, if she would assimilate, it would make my life a that lot be cool. easier. Right. And easy. <laughs> it would, yeah, it would ease up yeah. a bit of what we're doing here. But that's not the goal. The goal is for her to be the best version of herself. And we're on that journey together. Um, so I don't even know what your initial question was. That's just what I thought. No, of, like, I, you answered it and you gave us some other nuggets. <laughs> and I'm just, I never like not try to cry, but I've cried so much in this season that I feel like I'm trying to temper myself. But I just, I want to reiterate this for some parents. Like, it's okay to have expectations, right? Like, it's okay totally. that we have expectations. Like, I expect my kid to do this and act this way. And I expect things. It's just when we hold on too tight. It's when we hold on so t- and I'm, I'm saying we because I have literally done this. I'm like, I expect her to be able to go to school and not get a note stapled on her backpack that she has to clear out her little cubby in two weeks. Like, I expect us to be able to be in school, like at bare minimum. And there are days when I remember like holding my expectations with the tightest grip. I'm like, Mm-mm, I'm fighting for it. And I really just kept pushing her back in environments that challenged who she was and 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 where she could be her best self. And I think that's where we get in trouble. It's like, okay, have your expectations. Like, let's hold them. But then sometimes we've got to let them go and we have to grieve them. I've had mm-hmm. to grieve expectations. Yeah. That sucks yeah. really, really bad because I feel like it, it don't stop, <laughs> right? Like you're yes. saying, like, like Macy's now and, you know, like it's the teenage years and then it's going to be the young adult years and it's there's always something to grieve over when your expectations aren't met in parenting with your littles. And so I just want to acknowledge that. Like, I want to acknowledge that sometimes we're going to have to grieve them. And then we don't have to live in the grief for too long. That's Mm -hmm. relative because the real win is that our kids get to be the fullest version of themselves and how God's designed them. And that just makes me like weepy a little bit. Yes, so weepy. And (laughs) there's so much there. I think that open palm posture where you're just like, you're talking like you're holding so tight to this expectation that you had. Mm, Oh my gosh. Gosh, it is freeing to let go of that, but it isn't freeing right away. Often there is grief and the grief isn't one time, like you're saying. It's, and it's not, 
a cycle. It's like a whirlwind that just comes and goes and you don't know how it's going to hit you. And then I, I think it's really important to note that when we are raising kids that don't fit into this mold, how every single outside source is coming at us and our kid to be someone else than who they are. No one's saying it, but every system is set up that way in society. You know, every, every parent's expectation of a new baby, like you want your baby to not be my kid, right? Like, the, like be like my kid. Um, so it's all, and so it's coming at us. And I think it's really important to know it's coming at our kids and whether or not they can articulate how they feel about that or whether or not it's blatant in their face. Yeah. The energy of that, I really believe is something that is constantly coming at them. And it gives me, um, it makes me really, it makes me weepy too. It makes me feel just so like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry, right? Like, I don't want to add to that. And I do every day. <laughs> um, but to recognize that, I think it gives me more grace for myself yeah, and how I have grief and how I'm processing and then more grace for my kid. Like, man, it is, this is not an easy journey. And I, and I would say for me, it's not an easy journey not because of Down syndrome and disability. That's not what makes it a hard journey. The thing that makes it a hard journey is all those outside factors, all the undoing of what I thought it meant to be best, what disability means, what emo- like all the things that our kids end up having that we didn't expect. Yeah, I have to undo all of that in me. Mm. That's the hard part. That is the hard I part. I don't know that Down syndrome is really, for, for me, is really the thing that makes it all hard. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, yeah, because he, he, here's what I will say for me. Like, this is probably the first school year that I have, like, released my expectation for my daughter. And it has freed me in a way that I, I was like, oh, if I would have just done this four years ago. But I was so close-minded. I was so ignorant. I was so unhealthy in so many ways, like my behaviors were really abrasive and towards my daughter for, I mean, things that she really genuinely could not have changed about herself, you know? And, and so I, I kind of feel you on that when you said it, because I'm like, man, if I would have just had this posture before, I don't even think, I, cause I kept, I remember telling my mom, it's just so hard. It's so hard. And no, what was hard was me releasing my expectations. Now that I'm over that kind of sorta, I'm like, well, that was a really horrific day at school. Let's go get some ice cream. Right. Whereas before there would have been this, you need to think about your actions. I need to process this. I need to calm down. And now it's like, well, that was that was hard. And uh, mm-hmm. I still love you. Yeah. And yeah. it took me so long to get there. If you are a parent or a caregiver today, you know just how hard it can be raising kids in the digital age. The struggle is real, y'all. When it comes to balancing screen time, keeping kids safe from dangerous websites and all the countless other threats out there, y'all know it can be a challenge. And it's hard to know where to start. The Bark Phone is the answer parents have been looking for. It was built by a dad of two looking to keep his own kids safe online. And let me tell you, the reviews are popping. As a Bark Phone parent, you manage literally everything your child can do on their device, from who they can text, what apps they can download, and even when they can use them. The best part of this is that it's all customizable. If your child is young, you can block everything and just allow text and talk. As they get older, you can gradually add in games, apps, social media if you want. 
and you can scale back at any time too if your kid just needs a little breather. Now, Bark's technology can also scan text messages, emails, other apps, social media, and alerts you to potential dangers like bullying, online predators, sexting, suicidal ideation, and so much more. For peace of mind, when your child is out and about, you can also use Bark's GPS location tracking to keep an eye on them. Not in the market for a new kid's phone, but still interested in keeping your kids safer online. Bark also has a safety app that you can put on iPhones, Androids, Chromebooks, iPads, and even Kindles. So here's what I want you to do. Check out Bark technology for your family. Visit info.bark.us slash Tony. I'm going to say that one more time. Visit info.bark.us slash Tony. Listen, you will not regret protecting your kids. Okay, I'm going to tell you about a concern that I have for the future that I think other parents. <laughs> oh, no, we're just okay. the tagline that we have for this podcast is like, go deeper, go home. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I'm like, because I just I don't have time. I can't. Okay. Um, so I have a new baby boy. I am obsessed. He is one. And if I could somehow Siamese twin him to my hip at any moment, I would because I kind of want him to live with me forever and never leave me. I'm obsessed. He is amazing. And I'm excited about being a parent for the second time. And I also have this small little anxiety and concern about when he's old enough to recognize that his sister has some really hard behavioral challenges. Mm -hmm. And I'm not supposed to bring like tomorrow's griefs into today. I know Mm -hmm. that. But I just wonder for parents that have children that are different Mm -hmm. and some have disabilities, some do not, except like how to navigate that. I have a friend who, I mean, we talk about this all the time. She's like, I'm just so concerned that my other kids are just over it, Mm. that they're just angry, that they'll have resentment, that I think it comes with teaching the siblings how to hold difference. I think, I'm assuming. Give us some advice, though, Mm. on how to balance that and how to have those conversations as families. I mean, all of it. Just give us all of it. It'll be great. Yeah. It'd be great. Um, I think it with when your kid is younger, like your son specifically, this is all our kids know. This is all their all our the siblings oh, that's will know. They don't. They'll know no different. It's not like one day they discovered that their sibling is what like fill in the blank. This is it. Yeah. This is their whole story. That's good. Um, and it's going to be their story their the entirety of their life. And I think that it is different with older kids when a child with a disability enters into the family. It can be different. But that then also quickly becomes their story. So I think our we, it's good for me to recognize because I have a daughter in the middle of my two kids with Down syndrome, and people are very concerned about her. Um, oh, I, I like on social media, it's my favorite. Just total strangers are just real concerned for her from time to time. From time to time, it's it's settled down. People have some bold fingers, I tell you. They okay, do. and <laughs> I'm of the people concerned for her. I am the most. Oh, and that is because it is such a different reality than what most of her peers are experiencing. Yeah. And it's her reality. This is her life. It's not like something that pops in once in a while. Like this is it. 
And so there's a sense of normalcy in that that I think is just good for all of us. What the surprise that disability was if for me, I was 27 years old when it hit me. And so I had 27 years in which I had to undo these prob- these really problems within myself, right? Where our, our kids are either it's from the get-go or it's a year or two or four or five that there's there's a process there. Um, wow. I think there's that. And then the other thing that that I talk, my husband and I talk about a lot with our middle daughter is she gets to feel all the feelings and there's no shame. Come on. So she gets to be really bummed that she has two siblings with Down syndrome and we're just going to sit in it with her. Um, she gets to talk about it however she's going to talk about it. She, We get to read the text from her friends that you're like, oh, I really wish that you didn't feel that way. And you're 12. So guess what? You get to feel however you're going to feel about this. We just, wow. we just try to leave as much space as possible for her to come to us and feel safe to feel how she feels. Because we can't, in a lot of ways, we can't control our feelings. And as soon as we shame our kids for that, then they're going to pull back and not, process through with us. Um, and it'll leak on other leak. places. Yeah. And a lot of those feelings are super normal and we had them as parents, you know? So yeah, there's a sense of that. Like, yeah, I didn't know how to feel about this either at one point in my life. Or, wow, that's, that's so hard, honey. I'm going to hold that with you. Let me know if you ever want to talk about that. Um, I think we have to let our kids feel what they need to feel. I really like that because I feel like I've seen parents say like, well, don't feel that way. Like your brother or sisters, I mean, that's just how they were born. They can't help it. And so then mm-hmm. it turns into shame mm-hmm. and being dismissive. And it also belittles the sibling with a disability in a way. Like it, it, it really could be a nasty spiral if you don't get this right. I'm just thinking about parents who's like, ooh, I didn't get this right with my kids. Mm. And I'm like, I, th- I think there's always room and capacity and grace and mercy always. to get things right in the future. You know, there's always that. I just, I love how you're allowing her to feel her feels mm. about it. Wow, that was like a little light bulb for me. Yeah. I'm planning for the future right now. You know what I'm saying? I this, do. I, I keep yeah. saying that this season's for me. Okay. I'm all the parents. I hope you guys get something <laughs> out it. of it. But really, I'm growing. I'm growing. I, I mean, that's, this yes, sucks. I have a podcast that hosts one as well. And it's all very you self-serving. I just you have get- full on I want to talk to. I know I can't even wait. Um, okay, I want to talk to I think twenty-seven-year-old Heather. Hmm. Right. I I'm assuming that you found out that you were pregnant, right? All, with a child with dementia. How, how did this happen? Tell me everything. This is a great question. So all of my kids came to me through adoption. Oh, I love this. Yes. So I never had. I never have been pregnant. And Macy, I feel like you don't talk about this a lot, which is amazing because there's a sense of belonging in your family. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's, I've grown, I mean, talk about, I talked about growth in language, talk about growth in adoption and understanding in the last 15 years. I have like flipped on all the, this is like a whole other layer. I, I love this. Believe. So um, my, all three of my kids came to me through adoption and they all came as infants, all from Southern California. And what? Um, for those who don't know, my family or I, the my husband and I are Caucasian. Our oldest and youngest with Down syndrome are Caucasian. Our middle daughter is black in Guatemalan. And so she is, I think people could think, could assume she's adopted. It's easy to assume. Mm, sure. Sure. But, sure. Sure. Yeah. But it's there. Right. Story. I mean, cause yeah. it, that could get weird if, if. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, um, I have over the years changed very much in how I, how I share about their stories, but wow. 27 year old Heather 
was a broken, desperate young woman who wanted to be a mom. I went through four years of infertility mm. and I was desperate to be a mother. Um, and I had no desire to have a child with a disability. None. Yeah. And I just, okay, so let me tell you who I'm speaking to. Okay. I am speaking yeah. to the mom who's like, I'm pregnant. I'm so excited. Yes. They find out they're going to have a child with Down syndrome, whether it be through adoption, uh, carrying. Like, I just wonder how to process that well. Like, I'm not saying that you did process it well, mm. but maybe you could help someone now who doesn't know how to process it or hold it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, again, that feelings thing there, you're going to feel so many feelings. Give yourself space and grace for all those feelings. Mm -hmm. um, you don't need to look back and think, have shame because you did not want your child. Like you need to feel Ooh. the feelings that you're going to feel. I also want there to be a little bit in your brain that recognizes and in your heart that realizes that a lot of those feelings are because of systems and structures and ide ideas around disability that are only harmful and aren't real, aren't true, um, that that we've grown up with and we've yes, never lean into this. Had lean to undo into it. this. You know, I'm sorry. So, God, there's so much that's good here. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So feel all those feelings, um, and know that the problem, like the feelings maybe aren't coming from the fact that you're having a child with Down syndrome. It's more a lack of like, having to let go of expectations. Um, it's more having to undo ideas around what Down syndrome is that are false and harmful, like a narrative that's been fed to you your whole life, even if you've never met a person with Down syndrome. Just the idea of what that means in our society. Um, so there's that piece. And then that you are not alone. Like you are... There's such an incredible community ready to embrace you. And maybe you're like, resent that because you never wanted to be a part of that community. Have that feeling. And then like step towards that, step towards that community. Your kid, no matter who they are, right? Down syndrome or not, no matter who your kid is, they are fully, they're full of value and worth. Um, they are just an incredible, magical human that you're going to get to grow up with and learn alongside and have the honor and privilege of raising no matter who they are. Um, and that, like, hold that, hold on to that. Yeah. We are, this is so good. I, I'm so, I haven't even looked out at my little notes I, because it's just all so good and so raw. I have something really embarrassing to say. Um, and then I want to lean into what you said about society and these weird, not real things that they have inflicted on us about the disability community. Um, I remember being, maybe seven, maybe eight or nine. And we visited a family member, um, older family member. And I was meeting my cousins, their kids and for like the first time. And I was like, hey, oh, da, da, da. and then they said, we also have, and I won't name anyone, but we all, yeah, we also have such and such blank in, um, in her room. And I was like, oh, like, oh, she's going to come out. It's like, no, she stays in the room. And you know, being like an eight-year-old, you're like kind of nosy a little bit. So I was like, oh, I got to go use the bathroom. And, I, <laughs> and you're like go creaking in the hallway, you know, looking through all the rooms. And I look in um, one of the rooms and I see her. And she's in a wheelchair and she has Down syndrome. And she's like in the dark by herself because she's also blind 
Um, I'm really embarrassed by that. And I, and I think I just remembered that, like, as you were talking about it. And um, it's interesting because when I think about that now, I'm like, that's really horrific. Because I remember getting in our Suburban and asking my parents, like, why is she in that room? You know, kids would just say really anything. And she's like, oh, they're like, oh, well, you know, she got Down syndrome. She stays in, you know, they don't really bring. And I just, it's like inhumane, right? Like, and I think it's because of the shame. Like, we have these other kids and they're doing well and they're da-da-da-da. And this is our family dynamic and we don't want to show that part. And um, I just wonder how we can be better at processing that for our friends and our family members and any other children with Down syndrome. But even if it comes into our own families, like, what do, how do we change a, a mindset and a generation around shunning out a whole community of people because of our own uncomfortableness? I don't know if that's a word, uncomfortableness. It is today. Um, I just don't even know how to process that, but I think I just want you to talk about it so that mm. we can get this right. Hmm. Oh gosh, I'm choking up over here. Yeah. Jeez Louise. Um, yeah. That's just not a, it's a less common story, but it was, it was a very common story. And there are lots of adults that are in institutions in the United States whose parents were basically told, like, you can't have this kid in your life. So this is better for them. And I just think, oh, I could just weep. I think about a mom who is with their baby for however many months, weeks, years, and then and then sends that baby away because our society has it so wrong. And the brokenness, generational. Um, there's a book called Untwined. That I'm going to get you the link for, and it's a story of two sisters who were twins. And one, and at five years old, one sister went to school and the other sister went to an institution. And the sister didn't know what was going on, the twin. And, at, and later on, as an adult, takes her sister out of this institution. Oh. And her sister becomes a world-renowned um, artist. And she was deaf. And it, oh, oh. Anyways. Oh, oh. I, the, my goal, so we talk, I talk a lot. Um, I run an organization called The Lucky Few. And our goal is to shift, shift the narrative around Down syndrome. And all of the words I put out there and the books that I write and the things that I do, there's there's a narrative that needs to shift significantly. And that at the foundation of it is that people with Down syndrome are fully human with Down syndrome, fully human. And as I talk about all the things that make it really hard raising kids with Down syndrome, at the what I want more than anything is for them to step into every space they step into with their without their humanity being in question. Oh, and the story wow. that you told is one in which because of her disability, her humanity was questioned. They did not see her as human. They would not have treated her as such. Um, and so when we are able to see others as fully human and see the humanity in them as they are, then we can, that's it. That's what we need. That's what we're after. So that's the, that's the good hard work of yeah. advocacy um, in the disability space. I mean, and it crosses over, it crosses over to race. It crosses over in so many ways to gender and all these ways in which when somebody looks or acts so different than who we are, it's so easy to other. And we need to see the full humanity in every single person with breath in their lungs and a heartbeat in their chest. And 
with us, like such a huge work for us is just the showing up and being in the world. Um, And I could talk for hours about school and our kids go like what we're fighting for in 2023 for our kid with a disability to be in a school, right? We could talk for hours about that. And what is that communicating to every kid in the school and every parent and every community member when we're separating and segregating people based on their disability or not? Um, so if we start with, hey, I see the humanity in you then, you, then you can start to support the person and help them be their best self. And in doing so, it's just going to reflect back oh. on us, right? Like that, I say that Macy, I love all of my kids fiercely. And I've learned so much and will continue. But Macy was my first and she was my game changer. She shifted the narrative for me forever and for the better. And I am deeply grateful for that. And I want that for people. Like, you can't know what you don't know, but I want to like shake people. Like, but you can know her. You can (gasps) know her. Like, quit shutting her out. You can know her. And that's with this guy, this girl, the, the story you just told. Like, she was a human with a story and she deserved to be known. And everybody deserves to be known. So we have to make space for them and ask ourselves, like, if they're not in these, in our spaces, where are they? How do we get in spaces together? Like, why, who's missing? Why are they missing? And then you can start checking yourself from there. It's a, it is a worthy Whoa. and really hard work to shift a narrative, to change a mind. Oh my gosh. <sighs> this is so profound. I know. I'm in- I'm in a desolate place right now. (laughs) One of the things that is really hard as a parent is trying to parent well with no resources, like no books, no access to things that can really help you process through it. And so I'm excited because I have gotten to be a part of a project that I've needed for myself. And it's my brand new kids book. It's called Broken Crayon Still Color. It's helping littles process their big feelings. And y'all, it is just the, I don't know, that's the joy of my heart right now because I'm seeing kids, maybe for the first time, parents, maybe for the first time talking about something that's been taboo for a long time, like our feelings and the fact that when we have big feelings, good ones and really bad ones, like it doesn't make us bad. God still loves us no matter what. And I'm excited because this book is touching the world. It's being put out in Target. Yep, that's a big deal. It'll be in Target, in stores, and it's just cool. I hope that you grab a copy for the kids in your life, for you, maybe yourself as a parent. All you do is head on over to TonyJCollier.com backslash crayons. It'll also be in the show notes. I hope you grab a copy. Yay. I have th- two things I need to say, then we need okay. to get out of here. Um, I have to give a shameless plug here. We got the book different. I think we got it when it first came out. I'm pretty sure about this. But I but I also think that as just as parents, we need resources, podcasts, websites, Instagrees, all the things like it's really, really good to equip our kids with resources, too. And so I want to encourage everybody listening and watching to get Heather's two books that are so great. Everyone always and different. Am I saying everyone that? belongs? Yeah, everyone, everyone belongs. belongs. There we go. And yeah. different. Um, They're just great. And like your daughter's on the front. Of yeah. <laughs> it's so cute. cute with a little bob. Uh-huh. 
Girl, when I saw her in um, Target trying on these dresses, I said, baby, mm -hmm. twitch, twitching them hips. Oh, my said, gosh. Mm -hmm. her my little, yeah, her little woman bod. She's little her little woman bod. Um, get these resources for your children because we're doing the best we can, but we're also, our kids are also doing the best they can, too. And we got to equip them to have language on the front end. On I think we start end. changing, right, like a generation when we start planting the mm -hmm. seeds now. Absolutely. And we can do that, right? Like, you we can, can be, like, the ones that change a whole generation. Yes. Yes, I know that we are going so long on time, but um, I have such a great little story. My son, August, is in, it was in second grade last year, and he's at our, our neighborhood school, and he's fully included in a general education classroom. And it's one of the first, most of the every teacher he's had has never done this before, and it's like a whole thing. And it's been really hard and so good. And I last year, I got to go once a week. I would read books to his class. So I got to know them really well because I was in the class all the time. And I would bring in all kinds of diverse books. And one, and then I went on a field trip once. And one little boy came up to me. He goes, Mrs. Avis, my brother has a disability. Like, <laughs> so excited. So excited so about funny? it. And I said, oh, my gosh, Ruben, tell me more. He said he has to get glasses. <laughs> and it was just like that. Like you said, it was a shift. Like everyone yes. left, not everyone, the majority of the kids most likely yeah. left that class with a totally different idea of what disability means. And they're, and they're our future. So kids' books are important to me because it's, if you start with your kid from the very beginning, you know, like yeah. even like little songs, like 10 Little Fingers, 10 Little Toes or whatever. It's like, yeah, some people have, most people have 10 fingers, but some people have no fingers. Oh, yeah. snap. And then you like move oh on, gosh. right? Most people We're have never listening arms. to that song again in my household. It's over. <laughs> Throw it but out. You just give it, give it a like another lens. And then, and then our kids absorb that and move on. And then that becomes part of their understanding of humanity. And they take it further with them. And then we, yeah, we get to change a whole world if we, oh, just, if we do the hard work now. My brother has a disability. Ability. That's the best. This is how my that's how my husband was with adoption. Like their parents really celebrated adoption. They held the hard parts of their story, but they they went to kindergarten. They were like, "We're adopted," yeah. and the kids were going home crying. They were like, "I want to be adopted." Like it was so fun. Um, okay, Heather, thank you so much for your time. I also want to say something before we leave. Yeah. In talking about my son, who I love so very much, I'm obsessed with his cheeks. I made a comment that I want to apologize for on live we're not on television on live youtube <laughs> and podcast i said i wish that i could just attach him to my body like a siamese twin mm. and i just have felt bad about that this whole time and i'm like when can i insert this apology and it's so funny because right after you just finished your sentence i was like this is my time i felt this like oh it's okay you don't have to apologize. like it's like just okay but that self-preservation mm. And I didn't want to let this moment go by without saying, I really apologize that I said that. And for anyone that may have that as a part of their story, I just don't want to joke about that. And I just didn't yes. think that was very kind. So I'm so sorry. I know. Yes. I want to be better. Look at you. Learn. Look at us learning and growing together. So great. I feel great about my life. Right? Uh, some parts of it. Some parts of it are great right now. But other parts is just crazy. Heather, thank you so much so for being beautiful. on. You, I want to say this on uh, live too, like, you are literally a part of shaping the future mm. for good and inclusion Thank because that's you. like, I mean, like we can make impact now, but like the most important thing that we'll ever do may not even be something that we do, but like someone that we raise. Yes. And so kids books, yes, they're important. Like they shape the future. And so I just yeah. want to encourage everybody to go grab those kids books. Links are in the bio, of course, and in the show notes and all that. And I just love you, Heather. And I'm so grateful you were on the Still Color oh, podcast. Tony, I love you too. This is the best part. The best part of my whole month. 
<laughs> and we're at the end of a month, so I'm just gonna say. And that. so I'm just gonna say we're at the end of the month, <laughs> and I just so made great. it day thirty you out of here. It. Okay, thanks so much for being here. Yay! <laughs> Hey fam, I just want to thank you so much for listening to the Still Coloring Podcast. I also just want to say that I do not do this alone. I have an incredible team that helps to make this podcast possible. It's produced by me and my lovely assistant, Amanda Reed. All of the episodes are edited by Robert Elkins. If you love the artwork and the graphics and all the marketing that we do, it's done by Natalie Maxey of Nueva Creative. Also, we have illustration show notes. Head to my website, tonyjcollier.com backslash podcast, and you can download illustrated show notes done by my girl, Emily Mills of Sketch Academy. All right, last thing. If you love listening to the podcast, you are really gonna enjoy watching it. So head on over to my YouTube channel and watch the full episodes done by my girl, Kendall Patterson of Lovely House Media. Let me remind you of something right now. Even when you're in the middle of the greatest pain of your life, even when all hope seems lost, just know that God is in the business of healing and he is still and always will be your ultimate redeemer. Love you.